You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Secret Rooms. Definitive Edition. Chapter 2. The Children of Clearwater. From the Journal of Abigail Gray, March 1873, nine and a half years ago. I'll give you a nickel if you kiss me. Tommy Sweeney held up a coin, pinched between the grubby fingers of his fist. Come on, Abigail, what do you say? I stared at him and considered the kind of things a nickel can buy. An apple, a small amount of candy, maybe a down payment on a sausage. Why, sir, you do me a great honor with this half tithe and a silver. So you do it? Hell no, I won't. Oh, there you go cussing again. My mama warned me about you. Yet I find you on my goddamn doorstep all the same. I came looking to strike a deal. You're not going to take no for an answer, are you? That I will not. My daddy tells me to be persistent. A no just means a maybe. A maybe means a yes. So you keep telling me maybe all you want. Oh, you don't give a lady much choice now, do you? I'm just looking to see if the apple fell far from the tree. See, my daddy also told me about what your mama used to do for a living. Plain stands to reason you'd follow suit. Well, aren't you a little detective? So I'm asking you here why the getting's good. All right, Tommy. Close your eyes. Oh, boy. Lean forward. I wonder what I'll get for a quarter. I was fierce as shit back in 1873. All of 13 and convinced I already knew how the world worked. <laughs> If you'd just been a gentleman about it, I would have kissed you. But you had to be a prick, didn't you? Mama, Abigail swearing to take the lost name and made it. She socked me right in the face. And take your goddamn nickel with you. <laughs> My parents were continuously thrilled at my achievements in building bridges with my classmates. As I closed the door behind me, my mother Pearl stood with arms folded, her faded red hair tied back in a pony knot. Abigail. <clears throat> yes, Mama? Did you have to do that? Yes, I did, Mama. Pretty soon you're going to meet a problem you can't punch. Well, when that day comes, I'll just have to use my noggin. Abigail. My father, Hector sat at the kitchen table, cleaning his Winchester. What's that commotion I hear out there? Nothing, Daddy. Just a little pig wanted a thrashing. Abby? Tommy Sweeney reckoned me for a harlot. Hmm. Young lady, there ain't nothing wrong with whoring. And I knew you'd say that. But that don't mean it ain't gonna bother me. What bothers you? Some of the best friends I ever had were when I was working back then. But I ain't saying you should go work the saloon. And I'm not saying you should have kissed that boy. Certainly not for a lousy nickel. Mother! You're your own girl. Mom! Well, what is it? Forget it. No, come on back here. I may have to whoop Tommy Sweeney's daddy's ass over this one. And I would at least like to know the reason you turned his son's nose into a tomato. Beyond the fact that this boy besmirched your daughter's honor. I agree with your father. I feel like there's more to say that you ain't telling. Fine. I... 
I don't like the idea that I can be bought. I don't like the idea that someone can own a person's body, even if it's just for a half hour's tumble. My mind raced to find the core of this feeling of unsettlement. I traced the trail of coins to the ultimate recipient. When someone makes your big decisions for you, they're deciding the path of your life. It's worst when I think about that pimp at the diamond bill. William Fisher, that son of a bitch, owned you, Mom. For a time, yes. That he did. She didn't know that I would be watching for this, but my mother's fingers went to her stomach instinctively and protectively at the mention of that savage benefactor. My fists balled up in anger at the very thought of this bearded, flint-eyed, knife-wielding creature whom I had only ever had described to me as the very reverse yardstick of manhood. My father stepped in. How about a soldier? See, the Confederacy pretty much owned my body when they sent it to war. That ain't the same. They conscripted you. <sighs> yep. But I would have fought for our side anyway. Yeah, for the right for slaveholders to carry on owning the lives and bodies of blacks. Hmm. I'm sorry. You know that wasn't why I fought. Yeah. I fought against Yankee oppression. I fought for the freedom of the South. Folks who wanted to control us. But you also fought on behalf of people who was doing oppression of their own. Those who would keep men from being free. I... I just... I don't understand it anymore, Daddy. I thought I did, but I don't. I know, girl. A lot of us made choices for ourselves that wind up helping folks we never wanted to help. And hurting folks we never wanted to hurt. You know, someday you're going to be faced with a situation that feels wrong. And when you look at it, you're going to want to do something. And you're going to have to decide what to fight for. You know, sometimes there ain't no right. Except what you keep inside. Of course, once I was in and I'd made my choice, they don't just let you leave the army. Not alive, anyhow. And I couldn't live with myself being a deserter. I think what your father is trying to say is that a hell of a lot of life is doing shit you don't like for some complete bastard. Sometimes the more you don't like it, the more of a bastard they are, the harder it is to quit. You quit on Fisher though, didn't you? Yes. When you came along, I decided I was about done being his whore. And he didn't take to that idea. Did he? No, he did not. I hate that story. But I also kind of love it. Now, I need some gingham, young lady. Take this to McPherson's. Try not to punch anybody on your way. Yes, Mama. And Abigail. Yes, Daddy? That kid Tommy tries to make you feel sore about how you negotiated with him. If he gets nasty, you punch him twice. Kick him in his baggage for me. You bet, Daddy. But I never did get to kick Tommy Sweeney in his baggage. Two days later, he was hunting deer with his father in the woods east of our town of Clearwater in West Virginia. It was quiet and peaceful, and I imagined Tommy's nose was hurting still. In the bushes, they saw something creeping that did not move like a deer. 
If anything, from its gate, it might have been a mountain lion come all the way down here from the Appalachians. Only it didn't sound like one. Mr. Sweeney would have lined up a shot. Maybe Tommy would, too. But when it exploded out of the ferns and bit into Tommy's arm, snatched away the rifle pointed at it and tossed the gun into the nearby ravine, Mr. Sweeney realized he was dealing with something we'd only heard stories about from down south. Something we'd caught word was now heading towards our area out of New York State. And in those days, in those parts, we called them goblins. It'd be a long time before the name Wendigo fully stuck to the idea. Sweeney and his son made it back to Clearwater alive. Tommy was already delirious. They dosed him up with laudanum, tried all sorts of things to prevent him turning. None of it worked, and in the end, when his eyes went orange and he began scratching and biting at the people trying so hard to help, it was his daddy who blew his brains from his head. Apparently, the goblin that took his life away escaped into the woods, too, to spread its infection further, take more sons from fathers, more parents from their children. That day, I remember wishing I'd kissed Tommy, wondering if he'd still be alive if we were taking a walk someplace else when the goblin was prowling. Blame myself for his sad, strange little fate. But everyone else had forgotten I'd hit him at all. They were too frightened of the goblins that we now imagined we saw emerging from every shadow under the trees. The town had a meeting about what to do, and us kids were not invited. Now being 13, I reckoned myself as being most of the ways toward being a woman anyhow. I snuck on over to the town hall, quite against the warnings and attempted commands of Kelly Bronson, who figured herself as the oldest and thus our leader. I was taller than her. And I wasn't going to listen to a girl who still believed the earth was a flat tabletop. So that's how I found myself with my ear against the back door of the assembly hall. Pastor McCready was talking up a storm about the goblins and how they would be coming in the night to snatch us from our beds. He said the lions were coming for the lambs. I remember that very clearly. We need to head west. Same as everyone else. Think of the children. How do you fight a goblin? Gotta find them goblin nests. My father stood up amid all the shouting and cried out. Wait, wait, hold on. Who wants to run away west? Leave this whole town behind? Everything we fought for, scratched out of the dirt, grown from seeds into a place of life, and then fought for again. Who wants to run from that by show of hands? I'm sorry to see that. Ain't no point in having a home if you're going to get eaten. What's this feller's malfunction? Got you in bed with a goblin. Someone, please think of the children. They ain't safe here. We got to pack everything onto the wagons right now. Hey! Before you run, my husband had a point he was leading up to. It might interest y'all to see this here letter I received just a few days ago from my old school companion, Catherine Holloway. She runs the Weirwood Plantation a few miles south of Charleston. South Carolina? West Virginia. Catherine's home can be done up like a fortress. I've seen it myself. She's pledged to protect our children for us, along with those of Buckley and Coltsburg, and a few more towns between here and there. If this weirwood place is so secure, how come we all can't go there and hold out against these goblins? Because there ain't room for all of us, Daryl. But she's got the help of a full staff. The children will be set to work making the house a sustainable place to hold out in. 
defensible and strong. I ain't trusting no Charleston floozy farm girl with my kids. Especially not this Doxy's friend. Y'all ain't hearing me. She's not asking us. This letter to me and to all of us is not an entreaty. It's an opportunity. She's offering us a safe place for our children. Heck, there ain't room for all the kids. Just 20 of them. So we gotta do a lottery or something. Now y'all who wanna leave, that's just fine. Less numbers in the lottery. But my husband and I are staying here to defend Clearwater for the time being. And we'd like Abigail, David, and Joanna to be somewhere safe. So let's hear the other side of this. By show of hands, who wants to stay here and keep this town alive? All right. Of everyone with their hand up, put it down if you want your children to stay here with you, but leave it up if you'd rather send them somewhere safe for a while. You up or down there, Merle? Will, uh, will Susan and Michael be in with a chance of going to this place if my hand is up? Yes. And how long will this be for? I don't know, Merle, until the goblins are all gone. But if I leave and head west, I may never see them again. You do what you think is right by your kids. What you hope will give them a future. You trust this friend of yours? More than anyone. Then, uh, then my hand is up. Good. And with that, listening to a room that would soon be half full of raised hands, the path of my life for the next nine and a half years was decided for me. You have been listening to episode two of Secret Rooms, The Children of Clearwater, written and directed by Alexander Shaw. Abigail Gray, performed by Sharon Shaw. Hector Gray, performed by Alex Shaw. Pearl Gray, performed by Maureen Foley. Tommy Sweeney, performed by Matt Wardle. Merle, performed by Spencer Lieb. Special appearance by Andrew Dupin and Eric Siska of We Hate Movies. Evening Melodrama, Cold Sober, Stoic Morning, and Ossuary, composed and performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Many Soundscapes by Tabletop Audio. Our $15 patrons get sponsor credit every episode, so thank you too. Joel Robinson, Benjamin Biddle, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, David Sheely, Kevin Vahey, Daniel Salguero, Connor Kennedy, Brian Novak, Evan Jankowski, Sarah Montgomery, Dan Hepner, Johan Clayson, Tyler Long, Joe Gasiga, Greg Downing, Tim Rosensky, Christopher Wolfe, Kat Esman, Cassandra Newman, Timothy Green, Matthew A. Siebert, Joseph Gluck, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, 
Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Luksh, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Dashler, and Lorraine Shisham. Secret Rooms Definitive Edition is available in its entirety to own via Bandcamp, along with the rest of the audiobooks from the New Century Multiverse. So if you love the story, that is a great way of giving back. We also thrive on positive reviews. Costs a few minutes of your time, means the world to us. And it spreads the word. So you can post those on iTunes or on Amazon, where you can find the Kindle versions and the beautiful paperback editions of these books. 